Let's take our Bibles and turn for a moment to 1 Thessalonians 2. We're going to be in Acts for a bit tonight, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We will continue our study on the gospel, and I... It's been, it's been several months now, but I initially brought us to the study of the gospel because of how important it is and because of how ignorant many people are of the gospel. And our study in the gospel has, gospel has narrowed to the Christian gospel, and we studied the primary passage on the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. It's been profitable for me, and I believe it's been profitable for you, And now I wrestle with how to proceed in the study uh, because there's a lot more we can learn about the Christian gospel from other passages. So there are a lot of other passages we can learn from uh, when it comes to the Christian gospel, but in those other passages, there's also a lot of material we've already covered. There's a lot of overlap. Now, I could, in my private study, take baby steps through every single one of these passages, but it would get quite tedious to make that study a Wednesday night study. So going forward, I want um, to wrap up the details of the gospel in a biblical, theological, systematic way, in contrast to just going from a passage to a passage and doing it in an expositional way. I want to synthesize what we find in the Bible instead of drawing out all the specifics of one particular passage, okay? That said, I want to talk tonight about evangelizing, which is making the gospel known. It says in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, we are ready to share with you the gospel of God. So my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's consider making the gospel known. Father, as we consider your word, help us to... Uh, recover, Lord, the things that many of us have learned for years and years. But I pray that you'll bring it back to our memory and cause us to, again, see its significance. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, if you mention the word evangelist, you probably think of Billy Graham or his son Franklin Graham. And that is because these men in many places and many times have sounded out the gospel message to multitudes of people. And indeed, we're very thankful for all those who've heard the true gospel from them and responded with repentance and faith. And we have even had members here at our church who heard Graham on television, walked up to their TV set, and trusted Christ during the invitation. And as far as I know, that person is still walking with the Lord and trusting in the Lord today. So obviously we're thankful for people like this, but I would say that evangelists and evangelism have become somewhat of a specialty within Christendom. Evangelists are a unique bunch of people, and evangelism is a unique skill. It's kind of like brain surgeons. They're unique folks that are few and far between. But the concept of making the gospel known isn't something that's supposed to be relegated to a very small portion of the church, because evangelism is actually for the whole church. This evening I want us to recover what we've learned about evangelism over the years and to piece all these things together so that we have a robust understanding of what it means to make the gospel known. Let's begin by studying those who exemplified this. Evangelists. Evangelists are uniquely gifted in making the gospel known. 
And the Bible records a number of specific characters who preached the gospel. Classically, the most popular evangelists are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because they're the writers of the four gospels. But when we think of the rest of the New Testament, and we think of the stories of the New Testament, we think of those who proclaimed, preached, delivered, declared, and or shared the gospel. We think of people like Philip. He's the only person who's described specifically with the term evangelist. comes up in Acts chapter 21. Acts 21 verse 8, it says, On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. We remember he was one of the original seven who was officially chosen by the church to meet practical needs so that the apostles could pray and preach. Yet, as soon as we learn that he was selected, we read of his evangelistic ministry. So in chapter 8 of the book of Acts, the saints are scattered about because of persecution. And when they're scattered about, they go out preaching the word. And we read this in verse 5 and following. Acts chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, it says this, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs, he did. So not only did he preach, he was doing signs. And he had a fruitful ministry. Look down at verse 12. And they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So that's what we remember about Philip, his effective ministry. And his ministry led him south of Jerusalem. That's where he met the Ethiopian eunuch, which he's most popular for this story. Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and it began with this scripture, referring to Isaiah 53, He told him the good news about Jesus to the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch received the word and he was baptized, after which Peter was removed, where he preached the gospel, verse 40, to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So that's what we have recorded about Philip, the evangelist. He was preaching the gospel, he was preaching Christ, he was preaching the kingdom of God in various places. Here and there. Other evangelists would include people like Peter, who who did the same kind of thing but wasn't designated as an evangelist. So if you turn a page forward to Acts chapter 10, 42 and 43. Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him... All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, what's unique about this is it is a very robust description of what he actually said. It's more specific, although it's a little bit different than what we found in 1 Corinthians 15. In Acts 10, we see that Christ is exalted to this position of the judge of the living and the dead, as well as we find his gracious offer of the forgiveness of sins through faith in him. That's what Peter preached. Or we could turn to the Apostle Paul, who made the gospel known as we studied in 1 Corinthians and throughout the book, as well as the the other epistles that he records his giving the gospel. 
But one of the other notable evangelists, again, not labeled as such, but one who did such, was Epaphras. That comes to us in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Of this hope you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and increasing, as it is among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So he was the conduit that God used to make the gospel known to the Colossians. So the New Testament gives us examples of specific characters who were evangelists. It also records evangelists as a classification of people. That's where we turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 11. This is where Christ gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body. So in Ephesians 4, we find a listing of four classes of gifted people Christ has given for the church's growth. Four classes of gifted people that Christ gave for the church's growth. The first are the apostles, which were Christ's unique servants. I say they're unique because they witness Christ's ministry and his resurrection. No one today has done that. That's why no one today is an apostle. But these people were uniquely used of God to found the church, Ephesians 2.20. And then we have listed for us the prophets who are gifted to fill in needed revelation in newly formed churches because they needed to mature and they didn't have the completed scriptures. So there were prophets who gave new revelation. Then we have pastors and teachers who were those who shepherded the local churches and instructed them in the breadth of God's word. They taught them, as we'd say, according to Matthew, all that Christ commanded. And then we have the evangelists who are those who made the gospel known and were uniquely fruitful in winning converts to the faith. What this verse is showing us is that Jesus Christ is careful in the makeup of his church in order to build the church. Think about a baseball team and the fact that every baseball team has a bullpen. Professional baseball teams have a lot of pitchers because some pitchers are starters, some pitchers are relief pitchers, some pitchers are closers. And each type of pitcher is instrumental in providing a baseball team with the best defense possible so they can win the game. And even so, Christ has gifted various people over various years for the building up of his church. And we'd say some of those gifts have seen their time, have had their time, but the gifts of evangelists and pastor teachers remains even till today. You say, what do you do with that? Well, okay, we have this category of evangelists, but you have the category kind of separated from pastor teachers. So the question might be, are pastors responsible to be evangelists? Good question. Let's go to another passage where the word evangelist appears in the New Testament because it's used Acts 21, Ephesians 4, and then in 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. 
And we'll hear what Paul had to say to Timothy, who was the young pastor of the church in Ephesus. 2 Timothy 4, verse 5 says, As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So whether or not Timothy was gifted, like Philip or Peter or Paul or Epaphras, Timothy had the responsibility to make the gospel known. In fact... The ministry, the pastoral ministry, is rightly been called the gospel ministry. And that's true given the fact that Paul summarized the minister's ministry in that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel, there's a summary of their ministry, those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So obviously the gospel has to be central in the ministry of a pastor. Pastor may not be gifted as an evangelist, but he must do the work of evangelism, realizing that his whole ministry is summarized as gospel ministry. But now the question goes to, what about the rest of the church? We've studied a select few who were evangelists. We've studied a specific group who are gifted people who were gifted in evangelism. And then we have the expectations that ministers evangelize, but what about the rest of the church? Well, we could summarize the point in this way. Some are gifted to give the gospel, and some are guided to give the gospel. But everyone fits in one of those two groups. Some are gifted, they're evangelists. And others are guided to give the gospel because the disciples of Jesus Christ must evangelize the lost. Christ called all his followers to make the gospel known. If we go to the Great Commission in Mark's gospel, it says this. 16.15, it says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And the reason we know that that wasn't pointing to just a dozen disciples is the scope of the commission. The scope of the Great Commission makes the responsibility of the commission a necessity for all of those who follow Christ. If the gospel is going to go into the whole world, it's going to take more than a dozen people. It's going to take all who follow Christ. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit emboldened the followers of Christ to make the gospel known. That was one of the most common evidence of the the filling of the control of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, that people would proclaim the gospel with boldness. So look at Acts 4.31. When they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Say, well, what happened? And continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That was the evidence. They were filled and controlled by the Spirit. They spoke God's word boldly. And as you study through the book of Acts and the epistles, bold gospel witness is a recurring theme, which is to say those who have been forgiven of all their sin find themselves broadcasting that forgiveness to other people boldly. So what should we conclude from all this? Number one, I think we should recognize And praise the Lord for those who have been gifted in evangelism. Because some of us are the fruits of their labors. But we have to also recognize our role. If we're not particularly gifted, we have to recognize our role is making the gospel known in our unique situations and in our unique relationships whether that's within a family or whether it's within a photo club. 
We have the responsibility to make the gospel known. And many of us are the fruits of those who weren't gifted in evangelism, but they were faithful to evangelize. And we need to take that to heart. Father, help us to consider your word, to be thankful for all you've done, to build your church and to, uh, to build up your church. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to uh, be thankful for what you've done, to bring us to yourself and to lay upon us this uh, appropriate responsibility and opportunity we have to make the gospel known. We pray that you'll help us to be faithful as you bring things into our lives from day to day. In Jesus' name, amen.